listening to Down by the Bank, a Jacksonville Jaguars podcast with Corey, Derek, and JK3. All right, welcome to Down by the Bank, affiliated with the Blue Wire Podcast Network. This is Corey. Hey guys, what's up? It's Derek. What's up guys? It's JK3. We're joined by an awesome special guest today, and that is Doug Kite. He's an NFL reporter with PFF. Hey Doug, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Yeah, doing awesome. Doing awesome. We really appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, if you don't follow Doug already on Twitter, you can follow him at Doug Kide, and that's K Y E D. We'll put it in the uh, podcast description as well. Um, great follow, just along with all the other PFF folks. We've had some folks from PFF on in the past since 2016 when we started. So, um, you know, hopefully our street cred with you guys is okay. <laughs> Definitely, no. That's uh, that's awesome. Good to hear. Yeah. So uh, just to kind of start out, um, you know, I, I don't know how much of this, you know, and if you don't, that's okay. But when uh, the Khan the family bought the team, you know, years back, one of the things that got a lot of publicity was uh, Tony Khan specifically related to like upgrading our, you know, data and analytics department or creating a data and analytics department. I don't know that we had that before. Um, and sort of the same analysis that, you know, PFF provides, um, how much of that is still a thing with the Jaguars that you're aware of? Cause I know Tony especially is more involved in like the wrestling stuff now more than the football. And so is that still something the Jags are, are doing right now? Is that, does that play a role in you know the draft or in player evaluations? They definitely still have an analytics department. It's kind of interesting that you asked me about this because I'm actually friends with someone who used to work in the Jaguars analytics department, uh, Daniel Adler. He was the, uh, he was around, I think, in like 2013. Now he's actually the assistant general manager of the Minnesota Twins. So he, oh, wow. he certainly pivoted career-wise from football uh, to baseball. And I also uh, knew someone else who used to work in the Jaguars analytics department, uh, or actually knew his brother. His brother was a media member. Um, and I just know from talking to him that they relied on PFF pretty heavily in the draft. At least uh, in like 2018, 2019, uh, they really dug into a lot of PFF data as far as uh, the draft goes. At this point, like you said, I mean, I, it's funny that you bring, that you bring up the wrestling thing. Uh, I was actually at AEW last night. It was in oh, Boston. Wow. So uh, I, <clears throat> I saw Tony Khan, you know, introducing a couple of the shows and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, I think that his focus really is very heavily on wrestling right now. I think it's pretty tough to be you know, running a wrestling federation and then also being too involved in football. Uh, so I think it has shifted a little bit over now. And I think that if you just look at some of the hires that they've made, uh, Urban Meyer, I don't think that he digs too far into analytics. But like I said, they do still have an analytics department. Um, I, I don't know how much they rely on PFF at this point, uh, but it, they're cer- certainly still involved. I'm not sure if it's quite as much of an emphasis as it was in the past. I mean, there can't be that much analytics with wrestling since, you know, the <laughs> match already. Hey, it's, it's real. Uh, it's real. Okay. It's real. It's okay. real to me, damn it. No. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, JK3. No, it's a, point. It is, that is super funny. And actually, uh, I, I hate to, to you know, bring down the Jaguars or anything like that. But when all the Urban Meyer drama was, was going around, I, I did see a tweet. I forgot who it was. It said it was kind of funny that the the wrestling organization was being run better than the football team at that point. But uh, it does seem wow. like the uh, <laughs> that the Jaguars have turned things around, certainly, uh, uh, of late. 
Doug, we're not bringing you on here to roast us. Okay. And I hope you understand that. <laughs> no, um, no, no. I, I, I love the Jaguars and I, uh, I, I'm only hoping for the best there. Yeah. Well, I know that, um, that one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, uh, and I know Derek wanted to dig into this a little bit was the piece that you had on Jamal Agnew specifically. Uh, and Derek, I know, uh, you've been a fan so far of, uh, of, you know, how he's performed since he's kind of gotten an elevated role here recently. You know, what's funny is that the, the old adage is when, uh, as a player, when you're young, if you can't catch, you're a DB. If you can catch, you're a wide receiver. So somehow, some way, somebody missed that Agnew can catch. And, uh, and, Derek, like, and the, the other one, special player, special players make special teams or special teams make special plays. Special players, you know, one of those yeah, things. exactly. But, but, you know, Doug, you wrote, you wrote an article that, you know, why he wasn't invited to the combine and, and, you know, herbs didn't know him from Adam, which herbs, <laughs> man, you might want to not, you know, don't ever, if, if you're on uh, in front of podium, don't ever repeat that. Uh, herbs, but, um, so what do you think about that? You know, he just no combine. Nobody knows who he is. He's a DB. And now he's a, a, a slot receiver specialist that has a lot of upside. I think it's a really cool story. And I think that, I mean, it's it's a situation where I do think that he's got a lot of upside at that position because sometimes you don't see those slot receivers really develop until they're, you know, in their mid twenties. Uh, I mentioned you guys earlier that I covered the Patriots for, for eight years. Julian Edelman really didn't hit his stride until he was 26, 27 years old. Danny Amendola later in his career as well, Wes Welker. So you could be seeing something similar with Jamal Agnew. And another thing with those slot receivers is sometimes they come from these weird places like Wes Welker undrafted, Amendola undrafted. Julian Edelman was a quarterback. Patriots have another guy, uh, Gunnar Olszewski now, who was a college cornerback similar to, to Jamal Agnew. But Agnew, I, basically what he said to me was that he was just really undersized coming out of high school. He was like 5'8", 150, just really wasn't getting the offers. He went to a high school that you know, wasn't wasn't in like the state championship contention, just kind of got a little bit buried. So had no offers whatsoever coming out of high school, uh, went to the university of San Diego because it was a, a walk on school that wasn't offering scholarships. So he figured, you know, I'll, I'll stay home at San Diego, play college football here. And he really didn't seriously get noticed until he ran like a four, three at his pro day. And then teams were kind of forced to figure out, you know, who this guy was, but um, it was, it was also funny that you mentioned that, you know, usually DBs are the ones who can't catch. One thing that I did notice is that he's got pretty small hands, especially for a wide receiver, it, you know, about eight and three quarter inch hands. So maybe that plays into the fact that, you know, he was playing defensive back before, but he even said that his college head coach said, uh, you can't catch, you know, that's why you're at cornerback. Blah, blah, blah. And in college, they didn't even let him return kicks until he was a senior. And now he's, you know, the best kick returner in the NFL. So it's a fascinating story. And it's, it's kind of amazing how guys like this, can fall, you know, between the cracks. And this is really a perfect example of it. You know, I can tell you right now, his old college coach, if he starts, you know, playing like exceptionally well at wide receiver, <laughs> he's going to be looking at TV highlights one night and he's just going to say, well, I'll be down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but no, I, I am excited that, you know, Herbs, you know, with ETN going down, that if that can really get, you know, take shape. That's just going to be huge for us. We we need all the firepower, all the speed. I don't care how small his hands are. If he right. can catch and run and get us first downs and score, fine. You can have little hands. I don't care. 
no, absolutely. And you know, it is, it's another thing that's kind of amazing is that they gave him a pretty big contract this offseason. I think it was uh three years, 14 million. He can earn up to $21 million throughout the course of his contract. If he hits some of those incentives, but you know, he really wasn't getting playing time uh, until, until DJ Chark went down. I think that it probably would have been that, that starting three of, of Marvin Jones, DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault. Uh, and then, you know, the injury really gave way to Jamal Agnew. And as you said, with Travis Etienne, maybe Jamal Agnew wouldn't be playing that much if Etienne was healthy as well. So it's amazing how these things kind of, you know, get someone on the field, but it really seems like they found something with Agnew and, and I'm really excited to watch what he can do moving forward. They've definitely found a couple of things with him. And, you know, and, and, and again, you know, with, uh, with with the Jags and the season tickets, you know, we get the all 22 film. There's some things that I've seen that Trevor has kind of missed, but he I don't know if the DBs are just coming off the ball too early because they know that he's not going to get it. But there's been some plays where he's been streaking. Like, I mean, if he's taking it down the scene, he's gone and he's a speedster. And, you know, as a fellow five niner, I love it that he's <laughs> that he's actually, you know, participate or, you know, he's out there in the in the league and actually doing it. I mean. He ran a 106-yard, you know, kickoff back. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't take that away from him. Those cleats are in Canton right now. So that's <laughs> like, you know, that's insane that we have that there. Um, and, and then again, you know, giving some some love to the guys that, you know, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, this prototypical athlete. I mean, the average Jaguars fan right now wouldn't even wouldn't wouldn't spot him in a, in a lineup. No one. Right. You, you, he could literally be at, you know, McDonald's and you wouldn't know who he was, you know. So, I, I mean, I love that for him. Um, I love his speed and I love his shiftiness. But I think the overall story about him is, you know, being able to be a defensive player. Uh, well, first of all, the undrafted story, defensive player, special teamer, and then just being a grinder and just making his way, you know, onto the field and being now you know, being one of the players that they've got you, they've got to get the ball into his hands more. You know, he's into that conversation with the James Robinsons, uh, LaVishka, and, you know, now Agnew. So, you know, since he has made that role and kind of transitioned over into the offense, um, do you think Bevel had any kind of, you know, um, influence on that since he was the OC and had a little bit of a rapport with him and Marvin Jones in Detroit? Do you think Bevel may have had a, a little bit of a, you know, a play into that? I do. And I think that that was really important for, for Jamal Agnew's development is staying with Daryl Bevel because basically, I mean, he's learning an entirely new unit, like not even position, like learning offense. He was basically saying that learning offense is a lot more difficult than defense. And that's not taking anything away from defensive players. You know, usually it's a coverage that's called with offense. Even the play calls are just a lot more complex or a lot longer. So if he was, you know, in his second year as a wide receiver, also having to learn an entirely new offense, that would have set him back even further going into this season. The fact that he was able to stay with Daryl Bevel, he even said to me that that played a big role in him signing with the Jaguars. I know that there were some other interested teams out there. Uh, I think the Lions were interested. I think that you know the Broncos were one team that had reached out to him. Uh, but staying with Bevel was really big for him. And uh, you mentioned the the 106-yard field goal return or 100 what was it, 109 yard right um he uh, that was that was a funny thing too is that i think it was the last game of the game in la the falcons tried another long field goal at the end of the half and i asked him about this this wasn't wasn't in the store i was like man were you trying to get back there and, and catch that one too he was like mm-hmm. i was halfway on the field and they had to pull me off i think that field goal wound up you know landing pretty short but quite honestly like the Jaguars should put him back there on a field goal for anything over like 50 yards, because sure. if it, if it's a field goal, 
the field goal unit is what, like eight offensive linemen, a kicker, a punter, and a couple tight ends. Like that is basically what he said is that like it's easy to beat all those guys. Like right. returning a field goal for a touchdown is way easier than a kick or a punt just because of whoever else is on the field. So if you've got a weapon like that who can do that, like put him back there as often as you can. Uh, absolutely. Well, talking about Agnew's production this year both record-breaking in special teams, uh, but also the emerging role on offense. I know it's a small sample size, and he hasn't been out there too, too much, but are you guys projecting anything as far as uh, him going forward this season and maybe beyond this season as a regular contributor or a guy that we should keep an eye out on? Um, well, I've definitely noticed that his snaps have, have increased quite a bit in the last two weeks. It, he's right around 60%, which is pretty much in line with what, you know, that number three slot receiver usually gets in an offense. So I would say that as long as he continues to get that snap percentage or those snap counts moving forward, then I think you will continue to see him get, you know, eight, nine targets per game somewhere in there because those slot receivers, it's just easy to rely on those guys. And if he proves to continue to have solid hands in the slot uh, and to be that dependable playmaker, then I do think that, that Trevor Lawrence will continue to lean on him uh, as kind of that, that security blanket because uh, I like James Robinson quite a bit as a running back. I think that that's really the kind of player that you know, for a team, that's the running back that you want to find that undrafted guy who's big enough to run between the tackles, uh, can catch out of the backfield, but he's not quite as consistent, I would say, as a pass catcher uh, than most kind of, you know, third down back types. And I'd say that the Jaguars don't really have that guy since Travis Etienne went down. So I think that in some ways, Jamal Agnew, Jamal Agnew could kind of fill that role as being that kind of security blanket on third down if they just need a few yards to, to pick up the first down. Hey, Doug, I'll tell you, week one, when we all saw uh, Robinson split out and uh, Trevor was back there in a the shotgun by himself, we were like, oh, you know what? That's That doesn't look right. The <laughs> right. average football fan, the mom that loves her team with the kids in the van at soccer practice, if she was watching out on her phone, she's like, what's our starting running back doing split out wide? Okay. <laughs> all right. We know we can't run routes. All right. No, it, it's it's just it's the craziest thing. Um, switching gears a little bit, man. You know, we, we talked about the, the, the memorabilia before before the uh, show and just looking, man, you, you avid sports fan, obviously. Um, talk about a little bit about your background, like your, your roots and and then how you got started with PFF. Uh, you said you mentioned you were you know born in the, in the northwest, I think, Washington area. So uh, did, did you grow up a Seahawks fan or? It's it's kind of interesting. So I was born in Seattle. I lived there until I was uh, like 11 years old. I moved in 1997 uh, to New England. So I I grew up really a bigger Washington Huskies fan than a Seattle Seahawks fan, just because this sounds crazy to hear now with how big the Seahawks were are. But like there was a period of time when I was a kid that no one in Seattle really cared about the Seahawks. Like the Washington Huskies were way bigger than the Seahawks were. So I was a, I was kind of a fan of, of the Seahawks in the like Steve Largen and Dave Craig days and everything. I uh, still attention them, but was really a bigger Washington Huskies fan. Then when I moved to new England, that's when new England was, you know, you know, made the super bowl in, in 96. And then uh, we're winning all the super bowls in the early two thousands. Uh, so I definitely kind of shifted more towards following the Patriots, but uh, yeah, I, I, Went to Emerson College. I graduated with a degree in broadcast journalism and then didn't kind of take things too seriously 
for a few years. I was like actually playing in a band for a while, uh, covering high school sports, writing for blogs, doing that kind of thing. And then uh, Nesson hired me to work kind of their desk shift. And from there, about a year later, I got moved over to the Patriots beat. And then that's how, you know, all this craziness of this being really my, my career started. So covered the Patriots at Nesson for eight years. Uh, was kind of looking for more of a national role. And that's when PFF decided to open up the news division because uh, they had really been more you know, focused on analysis and analytics before that. And it was it was awesome. I knew a lot of the guys at PFF already and really kind of jumped at the opportunity to take on more of a national role. And um, it, it's funny, when I started covering the Patriots beat, it was 2013 was my first year on the beat. And I was like, Ah oh, man, you know, I missed all the Patriots Super Bowls. Like, who knows how much longer this whole like Belichick and Brady thing's gonna last? Mm-hmm. And then I wound up, you know, covering four Super Bowls. They won three of them, all that stuff. And uh, it, it kind of felt like with with Brady gone and everything, it was kind of you know time to move on. Everything was changing, and and it was a uh, time to take on kind of a different role. So that's that's one of the main reasons why why what went into that. Well, I will say that you know the Huskies. Um, they may not have the most capacity-wise, you know, stadium, but they do have the most picturesque stadium <laughs> of any the one that is a college football fan. You know, if you ever seen, you know, their stadium where you can just it's just right on. I don't know what body of water it's actually on. It's Lake Washington. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable yeah. views. Um, you know, it's an awesome, you know, at one of the one of the best college football um, you know, tailgating atmospheres or boat gating atmospheres, <laughs> right. you know, you know, in 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 college football. So, you know, it's it's up there with with a lot of those, you know, a lot of those story traditions. And I, I you know, just that's awesome to, to have you, you know, have that Washington and that that uh that Washington pedigree and that that, that husky um turn on me. But you did casually mention that. You know, oh yeah, I covered eight Super Bowls. It's like, dude, <laughs> I would give my left pinky to go to one. And you're like, yeah, I casually went to eight. Yeah, here are all the here are all the programs. You know, I also got a wristband here as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I it really was very lucky. Like, I, there's no other way to put it. I so second year on the beat is uh, was when they won the the fourth Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 49 in Arizona, and then I actually did wind up. So I covered that one. Then I covered the next one out in San Francisco, even though the Patriots weren't in it. Then the Patriots made two more in a row uh, going to, where was it? Um, Minneapolis and Houston. But yeah, no, I wound up covering, yeah, yeah. Six or seven Super Bowls in a row, even some of the ones that the Patriots weren't in. And yeah, it's a, it's a wild experience, the Super Bowl. It's uh, it's definitely a, a very sleepless week, but but certainly gratifying. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I mean, you, you, you talked about your time at Nesson um, and, you know, the Jags have played the Patriots, um, you know, in, in, in recent times, uh, especially, you know, in 2017. So, um, you know, in your years of covering, you know, uh, the Patriots at uh, Nesson, can you, is there anything kind of funny, you know, uh, you know, Jags Patriots related we've interest in, interestingly enough, Corey sent Derek and I all the, uh, the new book, um, you know, about Belichick, mm-hmm. Brady and Kraft. So that's kind of given us a lot of insight to, you know, the behind the, the steel curtain. But, you know, anything Jaguars related to the Patriots that you can, uh, you know, remember that may have stood out for you. I'm not sure how you you guys feel about him, but Doug Marone was actually always one of my favorite coaches to to do like conference calls with just because he was he was such a character. <laughs> like I, I remember someone asked him about it must've been like a question about the Patriots uh, Super Bowl that the Patriots were in or had won or something like that. And he was just like, I can't watch the Super Bowl. He like, he claims that he <laughs> does not watch Super Bowls that yeah. instead mm-hmm. he just like sits in his house, sad the night of the Super Bowl, you know, with his family, like whatever he's doing. But I, I just, 
I do remember like Doug Marone just being this hilarious character on all of those conference calls. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know if he got the, the fairest shake as a head coach in Jacksonville. And now I thought he did pretty well in Buffalo as well, but that's, that's the main thing that comes to mind. Um, obviously the, the, the cham- the playoff game between the Jaguars and, and new England that, that was in new, new England comes to mind as well. Uh, that was, I think that they, you know, they were competing just as hard as anyone has in, right. in a playoff game against the Patriots. So that one certainly comes to mind as well. And then going back and taking things kind of full circle, um, Mark Brunel, who went to the University of Washington, he was, you know, one of my fl- favorite players as a kid. Mm-hmm. When the whole, I think it was like the Brady deflate gate thing happened, Mark Brunel like I think he like cried on TV. It was whatever it was about it. Like I think that he became. Like, oh most, yeah, I remember. He became that. like the most hated man in New England because of how far he took it about Brady. But um, during the time he, he was doing media, obviously he was at he was at ESPN, and I think it might have even been before or after that game. Um, I, I went up to him, you know, before, I think it was pregame before the game to just kind of like introduce myself and tell him that I was a big Washington Huskies fan. And you could kind of tell that, like, I was a new England media member coming up to him. He was just kind of like, Oh God, like, what's this guy yeah. going to say? Yeah. And instead, <laughs> he instead had his guard like, up already. <laughs> exactly. And so I basically just like made him feel really old by being like, Hey, I watched you when I was a kid. You're like one of my favorite players, you know, that and that and that. But uh, no, it was a, uh, it was cool meeting him on the sideline as well. Just cause like I said, he was one of my favorite players as a kid and he was a super great guy. It, it's cool that he's now, you know, gotten into coaching as well. Uh, so we'll see how that all goes for him. But yeah, no, I, I've, I, I, Jaguars have been a, a fun team to kind of cover and follow over the years. And I'm looking forward to doing it even more now that I'm, I'm able to do this from a national perspective. I would love to be able to fly on the wall and like one in some of those offensive line meetings uh, at uh, Alabama with Doug Marone, because just some of the stuff that he would say when, when the Jags were winning and, you know, the thing about winning and winning cares all like his tone really didn't change when they were, you know, going through the epic losing streak, he still had a couple of one-liners. And Doug, you know, we, we, I mean, he stood up there and just took some of the bullets from the media members, and he just oh, answered yeah. every question. He didn't shy away from anything. He answered them, some funny, some sarcastically. You know, he kind of gave me like a Tony Soprano kind of like vibe about him, <laughs> just like, yeah, this is what we're doing. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you, but, yeah, this is what's happening. Like, what you saw the game just like I did. And I would love to see him in, you know, the Bama, you know, offensive line room, just, you know, with some of the one-liners. And I think that's good for him. He can kind of ride out in the sunset. You know, he's going from, you know, uh, the, the NFL, going to, you know, coaching some of the, you know, one of being one of 32 people to have a job and now being, bringing that experience down to Alabama and just, I don't know. I feel like to me, it's more of like a, like a thing where he can kind of bow gracefully and just coach some offensive line, you know, and just not have to worry about too much. And then, you know, just, enjoy getting another national championship, hopefully at Bama or well, they may win one, but yeah. And it's also like, you've seen other coaches even kind of rehab their careers at Alabama as well. So, you know, it wouldn't be overly surprising if he, if he, you know, took that into a, a college head, head coaching job, which, you know, it's a little bit different now from what I've heard with some of the, the NIL stuff and the transfer mm-hmm. portal and all that stuff. But, you know, it was always known as a less strenuous job than an NFL head coaching job that you could kind of take some off seasons. You could take some time off a little bit more than, than NFL head coaching jobs. So yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think that he's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what he does moving forward, but you're absolutely right. There were definitely times where he kind of had to take the bullet 
for everyone else in the organization. I forgot what the what the specific instances were, but there were definitely times when it was like, why is Doug Marone the one who has to stand up there? And oh, and it was. I can tell you, it was the Coughlin. It was the Coughlin. It was the Coughlin and. Dave Caldwell. Uh, what's what's Caldwell? Caldwell. Yeah. yeah, that's I, what I, it was. I want to call him something else, not, not by his name. <laughs> they were just too scared. Yeah, to no, get Doug, up there. Doug Marone is well loved. That's in, good in, in Jacksonville. And, and I can tell be. you, and I can tell you this: like even ex players, I read an article. You know, when the whole Jalen Ramsey thing went down, apparently they lived kind of close to each other in Tennessee somewhere, and they were on speaking terms and still had a great relationship. So. Although, yeah, he bowed out, Jalen left and got traded. It was still like, okay, so if he respects the coach and still talks to the man and he comes up every, you know, Monday and gets, you know, bullets by the media, then who's the problem? Uh, right. We know who it is. Yeah. And, but uh, it was so frustrating because he was just a well-loved guy, well-loved coach and just wished that it didn't happen that way. But mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the National Football League. Those things happen. I'm curious. I'm I'm curious to ask you guys a question with the with the whole Urban Meyer thing. Obviously, that's kind of fallen by the wayside now. There's bigger controversies in the NFL and everything. But how do you guys just feel about how things are going to be going moving forward now with him as the head coach? Are, Are you feeling, I guess, better about how everything's going? Can I say it? Can I say yeah, it? Let me say it. Ahead. Come on, now. Sure, it's it's sure. a thing. Uh, the engagement was awesome. The courtship. The wedding is, you know, great, and the divorce is going to be ugly, like like where he every stop he's been. So yeah. that's what I'm predicting uh, right now. Uh, it, by my silly predictions, they are in marriage counseling right now with divorce attorneys trying to get it figured out. And if they can't, then they're gonna. I hope he signed a prenup because that's where it's good. They're headed. Uh, yeah. If you, if you get my stupid joke, but yeah. That, that's where I think it's. I think it's just going to end ugly, just because. Yeah. You know, come on. I, 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 look, we we're not even six weeks in, and there's already like three or four things that are like, you know, kind of head scratchers. So. Yeah. With one win. Right. <laughs> yeah. You can show for it. Yeah. So. No, I, I'm a little biased. I am. I'm hoping that it, that it's a <laughs> that it's a long that it's a long <laughs> marriage. You know, with maybe two or three. You know, maybe you know four Super Bowl appearances and three wins. <laughs> I'll be divorced as long as we win a championship. I, mean, I, I honestly, you know, it, it's tough to watch because, um, you know, he's not necessarily. I think the transition from a college football coach to an NFL coach. I think the the biggest thing is the the press conference. You know, at a college you know level, you don't have to answer questions. You don't. You can pretty much put your foot down. You can walk away. You know, some of your freshmen, some of your you know, you, you have you have a lot of dictatorship over who speaks to the media and who doesn't. And now, as far as the NFL goes, you know, there's things that he can't control, and there's you know questions that you know people are going to keep asking him. And you know, within the NFL, you're going to have to face the, you know the, the the media and face the audience, you know, day in and day out about some of these things. And I think that you know he's been you know tried to be as honest with the media, and the media has you know kind of taken some of those things and kind of spun them in a in a different narrative. And you know, it doesn't really help on the sideline either that the camera's always on him, and you know he's got his hands on his knees and things like mm-hmm. that. And you know they can't, they may pan away from the play, and he's standing up cheering. But I think the biggest thing too, is that, you know, him being able to control the locker room and there was an issue with him saying that they had lost the locker room, but obviously with with everything going on in London, 
Um, you know, it showed that he had it. I think the best thing for him, and this may sound, you know, just very cliche, but he's just got to win. You know, this is not going to be a situation to where he can be, you, you know, like a um, Marvin Lewis or, or something like that and continually, you know, make it yeah. so far. People just love you right. and love what you're doing and, and anything like that. Um, you know, he's got to win. I mean, I mean, he's got to be able to put some W's up. And I think for his sake and his confidence and also the fans sake, winning cares all. And, you know, hopefully we can get string, string together a, a couple W's and then also with him having a little bit more of the rain in free agency and draft, really being able to see that process through, hopefully it, it turns out a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, they, they made some good moves. Obviously, Agnew was a good move. Marvin Jones was a good move. It, you know, not to get too deep into this, but yeah, the, the press conferences with Urban Meyer are, are interesting. I think that, you know, this, it, literally he was the big man on campus in Florida and Ohio State and everything. And now mm-hmm. you see him in these press conferences. And when things aren't going well, he just takes on this entirely different tone. And it's almost a tone that you don't see from NFL head coaches where it really is just like this, this downtrodden mentality. And I do think that he really does have to just start winning games and, and get back to to the way he was before. Um, And I I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see if it happens. I I do think that the, one of the wildest things about that whole controversy was, was simply the fact that he didn't fly back to Jacksonville with the team. I know that everyone's made a big deal about it at this point, but really when I was reaching out to people after that, after what everything happened, that was what everyone was like. I've never even heard of an NFL coach, you know, ever doing that before of not going back with his team. So that's also just things that maybe he has to learn as he goes along where, you know, things are different in college than they are in the NFL. And I don't know, it'll be interesting to see uh, how it all goes. It's definitely made him more mortal. Right. You know, yeah. As yeah. it's definitely made him more mortal and more back to, you know, somebody on earth, you know, you leave Ohio state, you're, you know, a God, you leave Florida, you're a demigod, you know, and then you come to Jacksonville and now you're, you know, you could be bagging uh, groceries at Publix next week <laughs> if you're not careful, you know? And, and for him, that's so different that you could understand why he would say, all right, like this, why am I doing this? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like this isn't how it's ever been for me before. Do I really need to do any of this? I, I don't know. You know, it's, it, I don't know. Like I said, it, it's a fascinating situation. And for you guys' sake, I hope it all works out. Uh, but I really don't know. It's, it's anyone's guess how this is all going to go. Yeah. Well, no, we appreciate it, Doug. We're going to definitely at the end of the episode splice in the uh, Mark Brunel crying on TV about the flake gate, uh, just to do a little flashback to that. The book that we're Love referencing, it. by the way, yeah, you may have already read this or heard of it. It's the It's Better to Be Feared, the new one that just came out. I um, don't know if you had a chance to check it out, but I, I just finished. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you got it right there. I just finished it. It's it's good. And there's actually quite a few Jags references in there. In fact, uh, on the Marone thing, it talked about how, you know, Belichick was so respected by other owners and GMs, um, mm-hmm. you know, when it came to hiring decisions that he actually, I guess, personally reached out. I don't know if it was yep. to ownership or what, but to the Jags organization about hiring Marone, which I thought mm-hmm. was interesting. Yeah, he was a big fan of Marone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, no. Uh, so, for our readers out there, good read, definitely. Uh, but we appreciate it, Doug. Uh, awesome uh, time that you spent with us here. We really appreciate the work that you do. And uh, we'll link up the piece on Jamal Agnew in the podcast description. But again, if you want to give Doug a follow, again, we'll put that in the podcast description as well. But it's at Doug Kyde, and that's K-Y-E-D. Uh, and again, he is an NFL reporter with PFF. Thanks, Doug, so much for being on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. And that was our interview with Doug Kide from PFS. Uh, from PFF, uh, great stuff from him. Uh, kind of shifting gears a little bit to the game this coming Sunday on Halloween. We have the Jaguars traveling to Seattle to play the two and five Seattle Seahawks. But before we jump into that, we've had this bye week, a little bit of time off, uh, you know, for the players and the team, you know, some time to rejuvenate, get healthy. Uh, what about you guys? What have you been doing on the bye week off? For, for, first of all, let's not skip past the fact that you still got work on the brain because you just said PFS, which stands for Personal Financial Statement, <laughs> instead of PFF, <laughs> Pro Football Focus, Corey. That's true. Okay. Yeah, actually. <laughs> we got work on the brain a little bit. No, yeah, I know. Shut Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I need you to fill I, out your um, assets and liabilities. <laughs> I got put to work. I got put to work on, on the bye week. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Um, I, I had to pressure wash my house. And by house, not just necessarily like the, the structural but like the front porch, the sidewalk leading to the driveway, the driveway, and then the sidewalks up to my neighbors. So now my neighbors on both sides are awkward because their sidewalks are completely dirty and mine are you know clean. And then I have to do the gutters. What evil person pressure washes the gutters, like the bottoms of by your mailbox? Mm. Wow. And I had to lay some sod. Yeah, that's a that's a tough life. I mean. <laughs> Was that by choice or did like the HOA yell at you for not? No, that was by honey do list. Oh, okay. She was waiting and saw that Saturday. It was like Christmas for her. She woke up at 630 in the morning, had a nice breakfast ready. She's like, oh, okay. You need this fuel because you're going to get out here and do this. Gotcha. So here we go. Yeah. Extreme setup. Okay. What about you, Derek? I actually did some yard work too, but not that strenuous, man. Just some uh, landscaping, you know. Um, had to basically my front now that I got my pavers down, I uh, was able to fix the front to make it look presentable. Uh, look at this, man! Bunch of dads. Yeah, bunch of dads. What did you do, Corey? I, I, I plant flowers because my daughter loves it. So what did you? Oh, what what, what what did you do, Corey? <laughs> well. Um, First and foremost, I was sick. So, uh, you know, I had to kind of lay back a little bit, you know, hide under the blanket a little bit, watch some TV. Uh, but then I went to Costco and they had the Nintendo Switch on sale. So I had to pick that up, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're, out here, cru- we're, we're out here breaking our back and you just send, hey, I got the Switch, guys. And I also got this, like, yeah, you, that's like the perfect thing. Like when you sent that, it, it, it like lit my inner childhood up. Because you have exposable or uh, dispensable money that you can just go buy whatever you want right now. You're like, oh, man, crazy? I saw Nintendo Switch. Yeah. And it's like, all right, 
let me buy these 48 games with it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely an adult moment, but I'll tell you, like, it's it's cool. I mean, I, I I've only got one game so far. They are expensive, granted, but uh, Super Smash Brothers. I've been crushing that. Super fun. The Switch is cool. I mean, I, I it's like three or four years old, but man, that thing's still running and uh, and it's very nostalgic stuff. I mean, uh, so I'm, I'm excited about it. And again, they're Costco, still, they're still very high in demand, for what I understand. Yeah, um, they are. Did you? Did, what, so why did you go Super Smash Brothers over like Mario Kart? Uh, well, I think Mario Kart's going to be next. Uh, Super Smash Brothers had like one of the higher ratings. I think it was like the highest rated game, uh, especially for multiplayer or um, split screen. So that's predominantly what we're going to do is play like some of the family games and stuff. So that one, that one looked cool. had good ratings. Uh, it's super fun. I used to play the older versions on the older console consoles, and I really liked them. Uh, but yeah, Mario Kart's up next. Mario Party probably. Um, you know, got to check out some of those Pokemon games too. Those look pretty good. Um, so, you know, were you a Pokemon, my, were you Pokemon go? I did it. I did it a lot when it first came out in 16 and then they had a little bit of a resurgence and I did it again, like about a year or two ago, but it, it's fallen off a little bit. Um, I, um, I was big on the Mario super Mario run. You remember that game? Yeah. That came yeah, out? yeah. Yeah. I yeah. loved that. I hated that they went, went away with it, but yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Better. Pokemon, I mean, back in the day in middle school, I was like a, a dealer uh, back in the oh. day with Pokemon cards. Seriously. Like I made cash uh, that I like my parents would take me and buy these like sets at like the store or whatever. And I'd get the good ones out. And then I'd be like, you know, fanning them out at the lunch table or whatever and, and, and getting like $50 a pop for like the holograms or whatever. I you're mean, going to the you're, you're asking for a hall pass in the restroom. You're going to the restroom and dealing Pokemon cards. Pokemon cards. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a shame because it, I don't know if you've kept up with this and then I'll shut up about this because this is completely off topic. But um, I don't have any of those cards anymore back in the day. I think my parents sure. got rid of them. Yeah. They are worth so much money now. So much money. There is like there's fights now with grown adults our age, I think, for nostalgic purposes. Target stopped carrying them on their shelves because when they would open and they get new cards in, people our age would go and fist fight over who could get them all and buy them all before they uh, sold out. Um, you have like a holographic Charizard? Look, so I had one. Yeah. And a Japanese <laughs> one in Japanese. I had the I had the good stuff. So, so you, you basically eyes, had uh, what, what's the amber eyes uh, or no, the Aspen eyes. Like the dinosaur that was like uh, frozen, the frozen looking dinosaur. Uh, Dragonite. Yeah, yeah. I do have a coworker though that can name every Pokemon from its like in in like level one all the way to its full whatever yeah. it is. The like the new new full or the old full? No, like like he he, he will now. go like from from Pikachu to Raichu. But with every Pokemon. So like I, I even quizzed him on it and I was like looking up stuff that I didn't even know. I wow. asked him the basic stuff. And yeah, he's that's my next question. Uh Derek, we'll start with you. If you know, if you're starting out as a trainer, who's your starter? Is it Squirtle? Is it uh Bulbasaur or is it Charmander? I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I don't know. I was just gonna say, so were you messing with like instead of NFTs back then, were you messing with FTs? Fungible tokens, fungible Pokemon uh, cards. I, I guess. Then? I don't know. Because yeah. you could trade them for value. Isn't that the meaning of non-fungible token? Uh, that, I don't even think I'm pronouncing it correctly, but uh, you you had FTs instead of NFTs back then, huh? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I was a straight up like, 
I was doing some illicit <laughs> stuff. Pokemon cards were banned in school at that point. And I was just, I was bringing my binder, hiding it under my shirt and stuff. And you're, you're, bringing, your, you're bringing your Pokemon cards and I'm getting suspended for wearing a Cartman shirt. Yeah, in South there Park. you go. <laughs> right. Exactly. Hey, well, I, mean, was you know. one, I, I was one of the first, I remember being one of the first kids my senior year having a CD burner. Let's put it to you like that. Ooh, yeah. My dad had hardcore. a new Dell and I basically went and I learned how to burn stuff and got on Napster. Sorry for those that don't remember <laughs> that, but hey, man, once you, once you got hooked on Napster, man, it was the whole world, man. I was burning stuff left and right. 1999 hot mix. Yep. Yep. <laughs> 1998 hot mix. Yep. All that stuff. Man. That's, that's what I was, when I was in high school, I didn't have Pokemon cards, nothing like that, but I definitely burnt the heck out of some CD. That's that was like risky too. If you were on like Napster or Kazaa, like if it like said it was a certain song and then sometimes it'd be something else. Like, no, see, this was summer, summer see, hot mix a like in June. I'm giving up my age B. a little bit. <laughs> I'm giving up my age a little bit because that's when, before all the craziness happened to it, you know, it was uh, it was still just music. It wasn't mm. just anything else. So, Derek, like, we know you invented Napster. Chill. No, yeah. I didn't invent Napster. Metallica, <laughs> Metallica sued you. Well, no. That story is super interesting. Anyway, so um, that is a, uh, a huge off-topic uh, segment. But uh, Nintendo Switch, highly recommend it. Costco, check it out while they still have them uh, in stock. Uh, I'm sure those will go quick with Christmas around the corner. Um, and if anybody wants to play with me, shoot me a DM on Twitter. We'll share. Uh, Whoa, hey, it's kind of suspect right there. <laughs> <laughs> kind of sus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, back to uh, football. So we have, again, the, the game coming up on Sunday on Halloween. Uh, a lot of uh, interesting storylines. JK3, I'll start with you. I know uh, we talked a little bit beforehand. You, you had some numbers, I guess, you pulled up. And I guess similarities between the two teams uh, matchup-wise. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the one thing that I can think about and just seeing the way that Seattle, you know, they have, you know, kind of transcended down uh, to, I guess, normalcy, you know, there's this thing about going to Seattle and playing, you know, against the 12s and, you know, going, making that trip, that trip out there, um, how it did kind of have like a mental aspect to it, kind of like going to Mile High Stadium, things like that hostile environment. And I think that Seattle with the injuries and the things that's happened to them, you know, from a defensive perspective and also from an offensive perspective with Russell Wilson, um, you know, getting hurt. I think they're on the downtrend as we're on the uptrend, on the uptick. And I think that these teams are very evenly, similarly matched. And we're just meeting right at like a crossroads of either with something, either one team's going to stay in the basement or one team's going to ascend from the basement and go into the basement. And, um, you know, I thought the most, the most interesting stat that I saw. And, um, you know, just comparing some of the things uh, looking at as far as the, like the third down percentage, um, I think so for 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 the for the Seahawks, I think as from their third down percentage right now, um, they are 31 percent. So pretty much on their attempts, there are 73 attempts, 23 conversions, 31 and a half percent on third down. So they don't get off the field on third down. Um, and as far as the Jaguars goes. You know, currently right now, um, they are, bear with me one second, let me pull it up. We need a producer for this. Um, yeah, so they are right now 73 for 23, 31 and a half. So very similar. Um, you've got Geno Smith leading an offense, um, you know, that's trying to get out, get out of its way. 
They have a defense that can't get off the field on third down the same way with us as well. It really is going to come down to who can maximize their offensive output and who can really just make this a attract me. I don't think defense is going to be a very good factor in this at all. Um, you know, just because of how weak both defenses are. And I think Seattle's defense is ranked lower than ours. Seattle's got some guys on their defense that can hit, and that's about it. Like, they're they're very, very undisciplined, which is kind of strange to see from them. We could definitely take advantage. Uh, I think um, O.C. Bevel today was uh, quoted as saying Jamal Adams was a problem uh, for them. To me, to be honest with you, He's one of those guys where if you get him going one way and you go the other way, he that could be totally to your advantage because mm-hmm. all he wants to do is, is hit you. So if you set him up, use some misdirection, uh, use some counters, he, he's going to go flying one way trying to make that big stick, and then you just go the opposite way. He, very undisciplined, which, is, you know, like I said, it's just so strange to see. For me, it's Robinson, Robinson, Robinson. So it's 25 touches, man. 25 touches, handoffs, screens, slips, not flexed out, not none of that junk. But between the tackles. Get, yep, get him going downhill. We get him 25 touches. I'm saying it right now. We're not even going to wait for the end of the show. Prediction. We get him 25 touches. We win the game. Hmm. What, what, is, what is your – What is your? okay, so what is your stance on that? Because as casual fans and, you know, just the way that I can really gauge, you know, what everyone is thinking is by watching the game on Twitter – Uh, or, or, you know, watching the game while scrolling on Twitter. And it seems like the general consensus is that everyone knows that we need to give the ball to James Robinson more. How come they don't know that that they need to give the ball to James Robinson more? Like, what do they see that we don't see? Simple-minded coaching. What I mean by that is, you know, we're talking about the same guy that was involved in the Marshawn Lynch screw up in the Super Bowl a few years ago. (laughs) Okay. So same guy. All right. And basically what that means is if it's fourth and one, which we've been in this situation three, four, five times already this season, and you've got a perennial pro bowler at running back. But no, no, no. It's not his turn in a rotation. We got to put Carlos Hyde in the game. This is where Urban Meyer calls timeout, puts the, gets the headset mic so they can hear him loud and clear. He says an ex- expletive word. Followed up by Robinson is in the game. I don't care about the rotation. He's our best player. Go win the game for us, Jack. End of story. End of story. Bill Parcells talks about how a lot of coaches, and Bill Parcells, for those who don't know, famous, you know, historic legend NFL coach, he, 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 he walked up to Tony Romo one day at practice, at Cowboys practice, and said, do you want to be a quarterback or do you want to be Hollywood? And he's like, well, what do you mean? Like Hollywood, all these golf tournaments and things, or you could focus on your craft and be a quarterback. That's what I feel like a lot of NFL coaches, they get caught up in all the, just the random crap instead of focusing on the primary objective, which is winning the game. And that's, and that's, and that ties back to Robinson. Like forget the, Oh, we got to give high touches and Oh, we need to try this formation and see, no, dang it. We're at the two yard line and we need to get six. Yeah. Whatever we got to do to get it, let's get it and then move on. So just kiss, keep it simple, stupid. I don't know how they haven't adopted that yet. 
honestly. Like, I don't know how because they haven't. I mean, it, they're they're what they're we're one in five right now. Um, I mean one what yeah one in five yeah, right? Am I yeah right one, in five. Wait, one in five. Yep. Um, and I mean it's just they have been in positions to take points, but they didn't take points. Um, they have done some things where they shouldn't have done. So part of me thinks that they're in a they they kind of use this as an experimental, you know, side to really see what work and see what they could get away with and what they couldn't get away with. And right now, you know, hopefully at the bye week, you know, the, the perennial mid-season point. Now you come out with what you know and what you don't know and what you need to do and what you need don't need to do and be able to stack wins off of that. I mean, they they got out of London by the skin of their teeth. They sh- they should have been competitive down the road in a couple of these other games. Um, <clears throat> that they played. So now they're coming really against a couple of formidable opponents, um, Seattle, and really it's going to come down to coaching. And, you know, I, I think, you know, this the strategic pieces of the actual coaching and, and football. I mean, evenly ma- there, we match up against them very well. Um, I think where we lack, they gain where they gain, um, you know, we, we lack, and I think as far as the quarterback position, I think it's going to be on Bevel to call a really good game against this defense that has some care or some some people pieces as far as Bobby Wagner um, that he does know. Sidney Jones, um, you know, the the ex-Jaguars, uh, you know, corner that he's on that roster right now. And I believe he is starting um, within that. And along with Quandre Diggs, who, you know, he he's, hasn't been playing very well at all. Are they going to exploit that or are they going to run the ball? Like, where, where do you think they they take that? I mean, you just said that James needs to get, you know, 25 touches, but then you got a you got a um, a secondary that looks like what you've been playing against against training camp. Like, how do you not take advantage of that? You take advantage of it. Selective shots. If Trevor's throwing the ball 40 times, to me, that's not good. That's not good at all. Mm-hmm. If he's throwing the ball 25 times, that, you know, if Robinson's getting 15 carries. And Trevor's so everybody's got to be on the pitch count. Robinson's got to yeah. get 25. T-Law's got to stay under 30. Jags won the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you'll get the over-aggressive players like Adams crashing down, trying to lay the boom on Robinson. And then you just – you you, you – Beat him in the passing game. Trevor Lawrence has the arm. He has the capability. Yeah, we, you know, receivers, we we got guys that can go out and catch the ball. So let's exploit that. Let's use play action and and and, and hit him and hit him right in the mouth. We, we they can were do killing that. Jamal Adams last week because he like, I guess during his little uh Sunday night football intro, he said like the best ever or something. And the PF, the, the pro football focus had his ranking. <laughs> And he was not ranked, you know, anywhere in the top 10. But then there was another play that came right at him where the quarterback threw the ball. And granted, I'm not a I'm, I'm you know, I'm a guy. I, I probably if you if an NFL player threw a or if an NFL quarterback threw a pass, I mean, it's probably gonna break my nose. There's no way I'm going to catch it. But for the fact for him to say that I'm the best ever or one of the best ever, and then his PFF ranking is there. And then for him to have an actual pass that hits him right in his face mask. Like, I don't no, know. no, he's, he's just another, he, 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 he'll, he'll lay the boom on you. That's for sure. But that's about it. And usually when you have those guys, 
you can definitely take advantage and get them out of position. So, and don't forget, we have, we have a corner on our team that knows their offense. And when, you know, and Shaq Griffin, yeah. And, you know, with Geno being in, Russell Wilson being out, Metcalf, hey, you got to stop. He's all, I think he didn't practice today, but um, you still have the, the threat yeah. of him being able to play, which he is physically superior than anyone on our <laughs> on our defense right now. He's physically superior, but, again, you can do things. Yeah, you got to worry about Tyler Lockett, but Geno holds the ball a ton. Like he, I don't know what he is. He's back there singing a song, building a campfire, kumbaya, like something. I mean, I'm just like, man, one, two, three. Okay, there's the clock. Four, five, six. Oh, he still got the ball. Seven. Wow. <laughs> you know, got to put a little bit of pressure on him. Definitely get him flustered. You know, he's known for holding the ball. So I think this game sets up very good for us to capitalize on the the small momentum that we have to get another win, to get one on the road. Yeah, you know, Russell Wilson, oh, he's hurt. We got So what? That's, that's the league. We take wins when we can get them. And we're a healthier team than they are right now. And we need to – they're a wounded animal. With We need to take advantage. Um, good discussion. How many um, chews of his gum do you expect per minute from Pete Carroll during a given game? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I want to know his, what what type of gum he chews. Like he's got to be a bubbleicious guy, right? Yeah. Well, we talked to uh, Doug from uh, PFF prior to this, and um, you guys were talking about Urban Meyer and sort of his body language and everything during the game. Would you say that Urban Meyer, like the the approach that he has, is almost like the polar opposite of of a Pete Carroll in the NFL? Yeah, I mean. I, I don't know. I, I, Pete Carroll to me is like a he, he's like a darn um, Rubik's cube, man. Like sometimes, you know, you, you sit there and look at him and he, he's fired up. But then sometimes he's just kind of like, you know, just got this these looks on his face and he's sitting there just chewing and smacking. So he, he's, he's weird to me. <laughs> I think um, his personality and, um, you know, the, that that his personality kind of led to what's going on with the NFL right now, you know, and not necessarily by age, but you know, you're um, the, you got to think about like all of the, the younger and the youngest coaches that are in right now, you know, um, McVay's um, you know, the coaches for our Cliff Kingsbury um, the coaches for green Bay right now, they're all that they're, they're all young, but they embody his player and his player relationship and his relationship status with the with with the uh, with the players. I think Pete Carroll was one of the first coaches, not one of the first, but uh, one of the coaches that really kind of came in and identified with players and I, and brought a lot of that college, you know, pedigree in college, like you know, being able to relate to you um, and be an actual coach and a person and not a dictator. Um, I brought that over into Seattle. I think that was the reason why. You know, a lot of, you know, how they were able to build that cohesive unit and build what they had out there in Seattle. Now, the NFL is very volatile. It does, you know, up and down. Teams are good, bad, you know, year year in and year out. Um, and the only consist the only constant that's on that team right now, offensively, is Russell Wilson and defensively is Bobby Wagner. 
Um, you know, e eventually, you know, th these things do fail and these things do, you know, kind of fizzle out. And I think right now Seattle is going into that lull of, you know, just being down with the media, uh, the, the mediocre and, you know, mediocre teams. And, you know, it's going to be him to really just kind of use that personality to bring somebody back into Seattle. I think, you know, he had, I mean, he's got a great, you know, relationship with the players, but, you know, eventually the NFL is a business and how can he can, he can turn over that relationship with multiple players uh, is where they are right now, you know, and they are, they've got a lot of adversity there. Seattle was, you know, they play in the tough, toughest division, uh, you know, in the NFL, in the NFC West. And, you know, right now, you know, they're, they, they don't have a, a very good shot at all of making the playoffs. Not at all, especially with the Rams and, um, you know, the, the Cardinals who are both playing, or the Rams and the Cardinals, Cardinals are playing right now. Um, so they don't have a shot of making the playoffs, in my opinion, at all. And I think this is the perfect time for the Jags to really show what they're made of with a team that has, you know, almost equal talent and equal statistics and equal, you know, opportunity for them. Um, you know, I don't think it's a, of course, you know, you can look at the nuances of the Jaguars. They don't play very well on the West coast, you know, Seattle's is, you know, Owen, whatever at home right now, but it all comes down to the, to the gist of, are you going to line up and play? And are you going to take the things that you do well and apply them to the team's things that they don't do well and really just out scheme them and get a W and, you know, get something how you can do. They're both in the middle and the crossroads right now. One's trying to get back on track and try to build some positive momentum going into next year and build up a rookie quarterback. And one is trying to stay afloat by whatever they can. And they're thinking about starting Jake Luton as their quarterback. If Gino gets out of hand, you know, so crossroads right now, they're at the middle point and whichever team can really ascend out of this is going to kind of build up for, for the future. Yeah. Those were the type of decisions we were having to make in our one in 15 season. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I think he even started a couple games, didn't he? I can't recall, but I want to say he did. Uh, Luton when he was here. Um, maybe that was for injuries. But anyway, so uh, post uh, Halloween, once uh, everybody's out trick or treating, uh, Derek, I'll start with you. What does our record look like after the uh, the Seattle Seahawks game? Two and five. Okay. Two and five. Right. Let's go All for right. it. two and five. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, and I usually don't do that a lot. But, yeah, I know. But I, no, I, I agree with you on, on the 2 of 5. I, I really think this is a manageable win. Um, and and, I, and I've, I'm looking at it bigger picture-wise because you keep building on, you know, things you did well in London. Um, you know, you get Agnew involved. Um, you, you continue to put some of your good players out there on um, defense and then just really continue to kind of build that cohesiveness. If you get a W out in Seattle, you know, you, you've you've beat another team that is, you know, a giant or, you know, it's a good name. You know, it's a good name to have on your belt with Seattle. And then you build that momentum coming into Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo will be here in, in Jacksonville in, in two weeks. That's one of the, the, the marquee games that we want to see because, you know, you are getting the cream of the crop of, a, of an NFL talent and, you know, Buffalo, they've shown that they can be beat. Tennessee beat them last week. Um, and they're in the position right now where they can't afford to lose a lot of AFC games. And what great, you know, opportunity to be able to play a, a team 
that has everything to lose and you don't have anything to lose. Mm-hmm. They, they can't lose another AFC game. If you know, if they if they if they drop another AFC game, um, it's it's not going to be good for them only because not because of the division, but because for them to get home field advantage. And if you're Buffalo, you want home field advantage. You want everyone coming up to Buffalo, New York in January, February and, and you know, freezing, you know, their chestnuts off, you know, versus t- having to take that team, you know, out to L.A. or something like that to play the Chargers mm-hmm. or taking them out to Vegas where it's on an even match, you know, they, they can't lose very many AFC games if they want to hold that, that, that home field advantage. So, I mean, I think it's going to be good for the Jags. They could come out maybe 21, uh, 21, you know, 14, 21, 17, you know, put up some points and and really just see how you guys have, uh, see how they've uh, bounced back from, you know, all these wins and lessons that they learned. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, yeah, that's, Pretty uh, optimistic post uh, bye week, and I think that was pretty represented by the players in the uh, recent press conferences this week too. If you've watched any of those, especially Trevor, I mean, he was very positive. It seems like they have some momentum going, which is great. Um, so once you guys are out trick or treating, assuming you are, if you could choose a costume of a Jaguars player, past or present, who would it be? And I'm going to start with. Uh, Former Jaguars training camp kicker star Long Ding will be my uh, my costume of choice. Uh, Derek, uh, which which uh, <laughs> which uh, Jaguars player, past or present, would you dress up as for trick or treating? And why? Oh man, um, geez, that's a that's a tough one. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I think I would go. I'll take it way back. We'll do like the blonde hair. Didn't you have blonde hair, Tavian Banks? Do I have that right? Cisco? <laughs> no, not Cisco. Yeah, no, not Cisco. He did. No. no, he did have blonde hair. Yeah, yeah blonde Tavian yeah. Banks. Yeah, the running back. Yeah, we'll take it back yeah. that far. Yo, Let's seeing see you with blonde hair reminds me of that first Prince episode where Carlton dressed up as Macaulay Culkin. No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, man. I'll post a picture uh, of uh, Tavian Banks. I found a couple, and he yes, he I did think, have. I, I, I think I would go as the the scariest player who we can never get rid of, and we don't understand why he keeps coming back. But the Jaguars version of Michael Myers is Taven Bryant. You know, you just never know <laughs> where, where you never know what's happened. Like you know, he could be in a burning building, and somehow he gets out, and you know, he's just back. So yeah, I would go as you know the Michael Myers of this team. Interesting. Oh, so who are you going to get to punch you? Mm. <laughs> I mean, oh, he came in the training camp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he did. He did. Uh, allegedly, he didn't get in the fight, but he come with a shiner. So, you know, again, if he would have had his mask on, that wouldn't have happened. Mm. Interesting. Those are good choices. I like those. Um, well, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap it up there. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please uh, subscribe. I think they call it follow now. They changed the app a little bit. Uh, leave us a rating and review if you haven't already. We certainly appreciate that. We're also on Spotify and Google Podcasts as well. And of course, we're affiliated with the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.